When I was in my 20s, I dated a guy. I'm not gonna tell y'all his real name. I'm gonna call him Ab, like David's son Absalom, who was really into his hair, because this guy was really fastidious about his hair too, and I don't want y'all to know his real name. Anyway, we didn't really date. I use that term a little loosely. We plated. Plated is a hybrid of platonic dating. That means you hang out a ton together and every blue moon he pays for a cheap restaurant, but you never kiss, so it's very unfulfilling. Well, anyway, I was I was with Abe for like a year, not really sure, you know, if, if we were really dating, if it was romantic or not. We hadn't had the DTR, you know, to define the relationship. But then that Valentine's Day, he invited me out to a super expensive restaurant for dinner. And I thought, oh man, the ship is turning. Because I mean, unless you're a total moron, no guy asks a girl out for a really nice Valentine's dinner unless they have feelings for her. So I was like, this is amazing. So I spent a whole lot of time getting ready for that dinner. You know, I double spanked. I did the best with everything I got. We get to this restaurant. Even though I'd known him really well for a year, we hung out all the time together. You know, both of us, it was like we're 13 years old. You know, his neck was splotchy. I was kind of nervous. We had this wonderful meal. And then when the waiter cleared our entree plates and took our dessert order, Abe motioned for the maitre d' to come over. And the maitre d' came over to our table and he had this huge box. And it was just exquisitely wrapped. And I recognized the sticker on top of the box as the most expensive ladies' dress store in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm from. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I can't believe he would go to this much trouble. And I thought, oh, Lisa, don't get excited. He's probably just, you know, re-gifting a box from his mom or something. Um, But I opened the box and sure enough, the tissue paper is intact and there's a seal on the tissue paper. And I, by then, had already fumbled all over myself, told him that I was so sorry, I hadn't brought him a gift, not even a card. Because again, I didn't know know, where we were in the relationship. And he was like, oh, no, 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 I didn't expect a gift from you, but I really wanted to give you this. Well, I peel back the tissue paper, and there is a dress by St. John's. If you don't know that brand, it's a really shishy brand, very expensive. Usually, it's kind of wealthy ladies on a cruise ship, but in this case, it looked a tad younger. And their dresses started about a thousand bucks. And so I was just discombobulated. I couldn't believe, since we weren't even technically dating, that he had gone to so much trouble and bought this just, you know, really expensive dress. And so I kind of lifted it up out of the tissue paper, and when I did, the price tag fell out of the sleeve. And I saw not only how ridiculously expensive this dress was, I saw the size. And I was like, oops, yikers. I haven't worn that size since I was in utero. You know, it was way too small for me. Well, Ab starts insisting that I try on the dress, that he wants to see the dress on me. And I was like, oh no, oh no, I I couldn't possibly in this restaurant, because I'm thinking, good night, if I go try this dress on, you know, it's gonna cut off my circulation. I'll look like a sausage if I walk out in this dress. Well, he gets more and more insistent, and I finally have to spill the beans, and I said, I can't try this dress on because it's at least two sizes too small. And he said, Lisa, I know. He said, I bought you this dress on purpose. I know what size you wear. He said, when we were playing tennis the other day, I picked up the tag of your tennis jacket to make sure. He said, I bought you this dress that's too small because I believe you're, you're on the curve of beautiful. He said, but there's a curve between cute and beautiful, and I think you're 15 to 20 pounds from beautiful. And he said, as soon as you lose enough weight to actually fit in this dress, I'm convinced that I would fall in love with you. And y'all, I hope you have never dated a guy or a girl 
who essentially said, if you'll move over to this side of the curve, you'll be good enough to, to me. But I bet you a nickel that many of you have had relationships with people who make you feel less than, who make you feel like you're just not quite good enough to receive their affection. And unfortunately, so many of us, because of those kind of experiences, we superimpose that on our bridegroom Jesus. And we assume that Jesus is the type who says, you know, you're, you're cute, but you're not quite good enough for my full affection. So I'll save you, I'll tolerate you, but I don't actually delight in you. Y'all, we settle for so much less than the perfect affection available to us in Christ. One of my favorite stories that illuminates that, it's in the Old Testament. It's a book that we don't dive into too often because it's, it's kind of racy. It's like Danielle Steele in the Old Testament. It's called the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. That's Hebrew idiom for the best song ever written. And this is a true story. There's a guy in it, he ends up being the bridegroom and his name is Solomon. And he loosely represents Jesus, our divine bridegroom. And then there's a girl in the story, again, true love story. Her name is Shulamith and she loosely represents us as the would-be bride. And this is how the story starts. It starts with her voice. It's kind of a poetical discourse. And she says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, the other girls love you. That's the beginning of chapter one in the Song of Solomon. And when I first started to read this, I thought, you know, that just doesn't even seem biblical. Because I grew up in a very conservative Southern home. And my mama tried to teach me that girls do not pursue boys. She said, Lisa, you don't chase boys. You don't put notes in boys' lockers. You are the responder. They are the pursuer. I don't know if I told you I'm 54 and single, but um, that hasn't worked real well for me. But that is still just deep in my psyche that girls are not supposed to pursue guys. So when I first read this story about this chick, Shulamith, telling Solomon, hubba, 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 I'd love to be with you, I thought, well, this is just flat trashy. Like, I can't believe this is even in the Bible. And then I had to back up and go, you know, in 1 Timothy, we're told that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so God put this love story in here for a purpose. I think it's so you and I would raise the bar. I think it's so you and I would go, I actually deserve that kind of love, a love that's honest, a love where I can run toward Him with my whole heart. Now, evidently, after Shelemith confesses that she has a crush on Solomon, he's the king of Israel, she, like us, starts backing up. Either her insecurity got the better of her or some Pharisee said something ugly because she backs up. And the next thing she says, it's in verse five of chapter one, is I am very dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Keter, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Now that's old Hebraic poetry, so it can be hard to understand the metaphor, the simile there, but essentially what she's saying is, oh, good night. I just told the king of Israel that I have a crush on him, and I'm just a regular girl. Like, I don't have, you know, crystals on my cell phone. I can't remember the last time I had a pedicure. What in the fat was I thinking that the king of, of Israel would be interested in a regular girl like me, he's the king. I mean, surely his little black book is, is really thick. There's no way a guy like that could be interested in a girl like me. 
I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Notting Hill. It's with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant, but there's this scene in the movie where Julia Roberts, and she's kind of playing a version of herself. She's playing an American actress, but she's standing in front of Hugh Grant, and she has just confessed that she has a crush on him. And Hugh Grant essentially says, no, thank you, I'm not interested. And there's this pause. And then Julia Roberts says, don't forget, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy, asking him to love her. And oh my goodness, when you watch that movie, it's like, oh, I mean, it just kills you. It's the only time I've ever identified with Julia Roberts. But in that moment, I did. In that moment, I thought, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to stand in front of somebody, maybe not a romantic date, it may be your dad, it may be your mom, it may be somebody who's betrayed you, but to stand in front of somebody basically holding out your heart and realizing they are not gonna reciprocate. And that's where she is. She's just told him she'd like to be with him and then she realizes there is no stinking way he's gonna reciprocate. But the miracle of this story is the king of Israel responds and he says in verse Eight of chapter one, if you do not know, O oh, most beautiful among women. He says, follow the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats. Beside shepherds' tents, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of pearls. He goes on to tell her she's beautiful in verse 15 of chapter one. Now y'all, Solomon's not telling Shilamith when he compares her to a horse that she has a long face and big teeth. He's using a masculine metaphor. Guys still do that today. You may have had a guy say to you, if you're a girl, baby, your body's better than a Mercedes. Or if you're a guy, you may have had a girl say, you're like Brad Pitt. We will compare you to metaphors that tell you, I am so interested. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, I am into you too. He goes on to tell her that, that he longs to be with her. And the next two chapters show their courtship. She's this regular girl, totally regular girl. She's still got calluses on her hands from the weed eater where her brothers have forced her to work on the farm. And yet the king of all kings says, I want to be with you. He courts her. They end up having a, a royal wedding. It's kind of like if, if you watched Harry and Meghan get married uh, not too long ago in England. It's kind of like that. I mean, all the powers that be come to view this royal wedding of Solomon. He's the third king of Israel. And at this point, Israel is a major political player. So people from all over the ancient world have come to observe this wedding. And you've got Shulamite, this regular girl. I forgot to tell you that her name is actually the feminine derivative of the male name Solomon. So Solomon and Shulamite are kind of like Robert and Roberta, which I think it's so cute and so cool that God did that. But here's Solomon, the king of Israel, and he hikes up this hill, and she's standing at the very top of this hill in Jerusalem next to the temple. He hikes all the way up this hill. He's sitting on a purple pillow being carried by basically the Green Beret of Israel. It says that he wore a crown on his head on the day his heart was happy that his mama made him. I don't know if you remember, but Solomon's mama was Bathsheba. So evidently after she repented over getting jiggy with King David, she got into crafts. Because when it says Solomon wore a crown, his mama made him, that actually doesn't mean a gold or a metal coronation crown. It was actually like a, a wreath, an olive wreath. So so I pictured Bathsheba going to Michael's and getting some grapevines and a hot glue gun and making it for Solomon. And then you can almost imagine this guy. I mean, he's the king of Israel, but he condescends to just be this guy head over heels in love. 
He's wearing this cheesy little crown his mama made him, and he's being toted up this hill toward his bride. And if you study the life of Solomon, you know he had lots of wives and lots of concubines later in his life, but Old Testament historians will tell you Shulamith was the love of his life. She was his one true love. He hikes up that hill and in front of everybody, y'all, he looks her in the eyes and he quotes their wedding vows. They're absolutely beautiful, so tender. And my favorite line in the vows is this. It's chapter four of Song of Solomon, verse nine. The king looks at this commoner, this very regular woman who's about to be the queen. And he says, with one glance, with one glance of your eyes, you captured my heart. Y'all, in Luke 24, Jesus says all of that, he's talking about the Old Testament, all of that is about me. Have you ever considered the King of all kings, Jesus Christ, looking at you and saying with one glance, with one glance of your eyes, you captured my heart. We are absolutely adored by the King of all kings, by the, the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor. He adores us. You and I have got to quit settling for lesser affection and lean into the perfect love of Jesus Christ. If we actually rest and live out of our belovedness, I'm telling you, it'd be a whole nother story.